This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks very much for joining me. I'm proud to bring you a conversation with not one, but two musicians from the United States. You'll be hearing from Mark Dunn and Dave Coots. Now, Dave Coots is a longtime friend of the show's. He's been uh, featured before, and if you don't know, as well, hopefully you should, he was the singer that Stone Temple Pilots drafted in when Scott Weiland first went off the rails, God rest the man's soul. Talk Show was the name of the collective that released an album back in 1997. It's one of my personal faves. It has long been, and when Golden Robot released some singles from Dave a few years back now, if you can believe, and they put out the presser, that he was available for a chat. I grasped the opportunity and it's been great to exchange messages and get to know Dave ever since. Mark Dunn is one of those guitarists that is at the top of his game. Now he's worked with a whole bunch of musicians who he mentions and producers who he mentions in the chat, so I won't do it here, but go across to markdunnguitar.com if you're interested in reading about his extensive bio. The catalyst for the chat with Mark is due to the launch of a new album or EP from him. It is titled Top Gear and it is indeed top stuff. See what I did there. All right, before we get into the chat, I'm gonna give you a sample of the music from the two gentlemen. First of all, you're gonna hear Saturday from Dave, and that'll be followed by Drop D for E from Mark. That's for all you people listening via the podcast apps, by the way. YouTube, you get it. I can't play music, otherwise I get a copyright strike. So either way, let's get stuck into it. Here we go.
Hi, Mark. How are you, mate? I'm pretty good, man. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. And there he is in the background there. How are you, Dave? How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing very well, mate. Yeah, it's a, it's a sprightly... Happy to hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's getting a bit colder in our part of the world, which is a bit of a joke, really, I suppose, because I guess it's like Southern California where the coldest it gets is about 18 degrees. I don't know what that translates into Fahrenheit, but, uh, yeah, it's not cold. But, uh, yeah, we're in our colder months now. You're going into winter, we're going into summer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. But it's always where nice to have a change. Uh, in in uh, obviously in Australia, but in Queensland on the Gold Coast, gotcha. Which is probably probably similar to Florida, I would imagine. Um, I think it's the equivalent to Florida, or maybe Southern California. Although I think Southern California is more like Sydney, where I am, it's more tropical. Nice. I like tropics. Yeah, it's just the heat gets you after a while. (laughs) I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I I want to tell you not because you're taking the time to talk to me, but they're great. You really ask some, you ask some questions that people like me want to, want to hear. And I appreciate that. And I, and I must, I must applaud you not because I'm sitting next to Dave, but of course I listen to the, uh, the podcast with him. And then I also listen to the podcast with Dean and I just loved how you just (laughs) on the Train tracks when you're like talk shows one of the best records you've ever done and i'm like <laughs> yes <laughs> it was so funny dude it was great good job oh, so thanks, good. Mike. So yeah good. yeah i think it had to be done i just one of the things that i don't like and and as a lifelong music fan i've noticed that all of these really prominent artists you know you talk about judas priest and rob halford <laughs> and ozzy they disown parts of their catalog and i don't understand why oh, they do that why, why yeah. would you do that no, I, I and David, I was just having this discussion the other day. I mean, I'm I'm not like the world's busiest session guitar player, but there are set, there's records I've played on that were not my works that I probably won't tell anybody about. But at the same time, you know, if you create music and you release it to the world, why wouldn't you be proud of it? You know, that's that's a that's a wonderful album in spite of what they may want to treat it like. It's just I don't know why they don't own up to it. No, I, I don't know. It's it's it wasn't even a commercial failure. They didn't put any money behind it. The label decided that they uh, wanted Scott back in the band. Clearly, when that album was released, but yeah. that 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 album was an extension of where they were headed with Core and then Purple and then Tiny Music, and that was a logical conclusion of that journey, musical journey. It was the fourth like, album. Yeah, it, it was, was the, the fourth album, album because if you listen to their albums afterwards, it sounds nothing like those. I'm not going to call them the first four albums because that's what they are, and uh, they was a huge yeah. part of that. And I don't, I don't know why they they don't give it the, um, you know, the 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 treatment, so to speak. You know, re-release it, remaster it, put get Dave in to do some liner notes, all this sort of stuff. It's a they've got enough money to be able to do something like that. Well, I tell you what, that that's probably going to be inevitable. That that's going to happen, and it's going to be precipitated, not by them. Oh, great! Okay, well, that's great to hear. That's fantastic. You know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Um, so uh, and yeah, that's just great. So and I yeah. hope that. Hey, I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> you should get some. Well, it's it's very it's very common though uh, in this world for uh, in the music industry for whoever is at the head of the band. 
And I know in Dean's case and Robert's case is a bit different because they certainly have written the music, but usually it's a singer or what have you, and they've had bloody nothing to do with the actual songwriting process. They just added lyrics and a few melodies after the fact. They can't play guitar or keyboards or arrange, and they, they're they the ones that are at the head of the table when it comes to the re- reimagining process. And a whole yeah. new bu- bunch of fans come into a situation. They think that this individual is the one that, like the Aussie thing, he couldn't write a song to save his life, let's face it. Okay, he needs the musicians around him, but these fans form these views that the person who is still in the band is the person that wrote them 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it might have been. But um, yeah, that's that's just the way of the world. There's no point in uh, getting getting my knickers in a knot over that stuff, eh? Have you um have you had a chance to listen to the record? I do, mate. I like it a lot. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, you, you've definitely got to – well, I, I'm a musician. I'm a guitarist. So first of all, yeah, you're the sort of guitarist that makes me want to stop playing guitar. Oh, um, shit. That's <laughs> what I told you. <laughs> but thank you, but don't stop. No, I, I, uh, I'm a career bassist, I should say. I play guitar just if I have to, put it that way. It's uh, – it's a means to an end more often than not. But, yeah, I love what you're doing, mate. One of, one of my uh, all-time albums is uh, J.K. Lee's A Fine Pink Mist, and I think yours has got a lot of parallels. What you're doing really? there has got a lot of parallels to that. Yeah, I, I do. I feel that way. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go back and revisit that. Thank that's you. That's very cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, that's a very misunderstood solo album from Jake, I think, because, of course, it's a bit like yours. It's, it's almost all instrumental. Um, <laughs> But it's very creative and it's a bit abstract too. And I think he's such a that. He's one of the most underrated guitar players out there, and it's a shame because he deserves his day. You know, he's deserved his day for a while, actually. Yeah. No, I I agree. But but Mark, just since we're we're talking about the album and and your performance there, can you tell me about your musical background? Um, I started playing guitar when I was six, so about twenty years ago. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it just wasn't a thing like it's it's not like it was formal I'm the youngest of five boys so there was guitars in various states of disrepair laying around the house and so it wasn't a thing you know and um, I learned how to play by listening to Elvis songs that kind of thing Mm. you know and then like I said when I say it wasn't a thing and what I mean by that is like it wasn't like taking formal piano lessons, you know, where my fr- some of my friends had to spend a half hour every day taking piano lessons, which is great, but they didn't appreciate it because they were being forced to. Mm. So I didn't really feel that way. It just was, and I didn't realize there was a difference in, in someone's ability to play an instrument until I saw a live Van Halen video. And then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's different, you know? And so then I kind of, I thought that that's something that I really wanted to explore. So I saved up from 11 years old on. I started, you know, speaking, playing my brother's electrics and listening to that stuff and uh, really appreciating that type of music. And also just, you know, listen to, with that band in particular, listen to the quality of their songs while mm-hmm. Eddie's just playing lights out stuff, you know? Because it's that first record. Is is a is essentially a pop album. If you took away the guitar solos, they would still be great songs, right? You know. Yeah. So that album was so influential on me as someone that listened to guitar music, because it brought it for me. It it fomented incredible melodic content with just this acrobatic 
ability to play the instrument, you know? And, uh, and so of course I eat, slept, ate, slept, breathed Van Halen, you know, while my other friends were starting to listen to Metallica and, uh, but at the same time, I should tell you that my first concert was September 26, 1979 was the Bee Gees. And that was the moment where I went, that looks like a good job. <laughs> mm. So I kind of was on my path after that. I just didn't know what it would be. And um, all through high school, I, I, you know, I, I played every day, man. I just played every day. And I, you know, I, I would come home. It got to the point where I had to finish homework before I could touch my guitar. You know, because oh, really? it was just, yeah, yeah obsession. And, um, and right out of high school, I got a gig uh, playing on a, a nightly tour, like a cruise ship out of Norfolk. Because uh, the East Coast, where I grew up, is a water town. And um, Norfolk is. And um, I had to play everything in one night from Separate Ways by Journey to Girl from Empanema Jazz Standard and read charts. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just one of those things that you just did, yeah. And uh, and so, I, you know, from there, um, started playing in clubs uh, underage. Here the drinking age is 21. I don't know what it is. In, Australia. Yeah. yeah, but um and then started making a name. And uh by the time I was in my mid-20s, I started doing a lot of uh fly dates doing the music of Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd with uh symphonies around the country. Okay. It's called Windborn. And uh Randy Jackson, remember the band Zebra? Who's behind the door? Yeah, he was the singer. He still is. He's um and then I, I moved to Atlanta before, uh, and spent 11 years down there and started playing in country music because it was still kind of rock and roll. And that was what was paying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started developing actual country chops as opposed to rock country chops and really expanded, you know, my kind of how I looked at guitar and music in general, and then started doing more sessions and playing with more people and doing more pop-up gigs and, and, you know, so that's kind of a synopsis of readers, you know, a, a smaller version of my journey, but that's kind of what I've been doing. I moved back to uh, Virginia about 12 years ago mm. and uh, doing the same thing, teaching, uh, writing tunes, doing sessions, uh, hired gun, you know, playing with different artists, tour with a bunch of people out of Nashville on, um, you know, not big names, but on the way up kind of people doing radio t- tours and shows, you know, it's 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 when you get into that realm it's obviously you have to be a capable player but in the in the higher end of the business the main thing is to just not be a dummy and 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 not be uh you have to be punctual and you have to be a nice person and and you have to know your role you know and uh so i think my reputation got around for knowing my role and being able to be punctual and not high and not drunk <laughs> and uh you know yeah. doing my job yeah that's such a that's such a great point. I was I, was, I played on Saturday night, and uh, somebody asked me a question about um, about why there's not a lot of younger people coming through on the local cover scene around here in Southeast Queensland. And 
So, look, I've got no idea, but I'll tell you what, I can bet your bottom dollar that they can sit in their bedrooms and shred their asses off. But I said what they can't do is they can't turn up on time. They can't offer to buy a round of drinks before we go on stage. They can't roll up a bloody cable at the end of the night. When it's 3.30 in the morning after you're basically exhausted, they can't help lift a PA into the back of a truck. You, You know what I'm saying? These are the skills. Like the actual playing side of it, yeah, you've got to have that. That's actually that's the platform. That's a given. But it's this whole other skill set learning songs in your own time and turning up well rehearsed and just being a good bloke that you can't teach. Well, a real band is a family. And I mean, if you're doing that in a group situation, whether it's a cover band or an original band or whatever, you know, the roles are often unspoken. You know, you see a lot of the Facebook memes about, you know, load in by a band and, you know, singer shows up with nothing, you know, that kind of thing. Singer's the first one to leave. But, and while there might be some truth to that, if there's a functioning band going on, everybody knows the roles. And and you get called out for not doing it. Yeah. And starting yeah. with your performance and starting with being prepared and starting with, uh, you know, entertaining. You can't just, you know, everybody's definition of entertainment's different. But honestly, mm-hmm. that was the hardest thing I ever, that's the hardest thing I ever had to learn uh, there was one night and I, and it, it put me into a depression for a while, actually, but um, it was walking on stage. You know, that whole thing about when you, when you're a kid and you see the lights go down, who's your favorite band, Andrew? Who's your favorite band? Oh gosh. Uh, let me go with. When you were a kid. Yeah. Okay. When you, oh, when, oh, it would have, would have been Faith No More or Megadeth, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. So the lights go down and the dude's walking the band on. And you're just in the audience. You see the flashlight and all that shit. And you're like, I want to do that. I want to be that person being escorted on stage. So, you know, that feeling you get like this, they're the coolest thing in the world. Mm. So I had this epiphany one night when I was being led on stage with a flashlight playing with a country artist. And, you know, there's five or 6,000 people in the room. And, I was like, I'm no longer a musician. I'm an entertainer. <laughs> and it yeah. took me a while to reconcile that because you spend thousands of hours learning how to do, you know, all that. And then <laughs> what matters is that you, uh, in that particular moment in time, what matters is that your, your, your ass looks good in your jeans and you're in the right spot for the lighting cue. And yeah. you, you know, you smile at the right time. And, you know, it's like, oh my God. So that, I don't know why I got on that tangent, but that, that was to me being a hired gun was kind of the hardest thing, you know, like that aspect of it wasn't fake, but it's also not what I, what I signed up for. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. I just was having these thoughts in the last 48 hours about even what I do as a covers musician. Now it's nowhere near the level that you've just articulated, but it's still at a point where the music side of it and being able to play it's, it's part of a much bigger picture, if you like, and it all gets rolled into the performance and how you approach it. It's even beyond being a professional. That's also a given. It's your attitude, isn't it? And it's your attitude to wanting to put on something, putting on, I, I often call us the soundtrack to people's drinking when we're playing covers, okay? We're but, selling uh, whiskey and nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're people's Saturday night, into Friday and Saturday night and sometimes Sunday afternoon entertainment. And uh, they don't, they don't, they they don't want to hear 
They don't want. They just want to hear cool music. They just want to be taken away for three, four, four hours, whatever it might be. That's usually how long the. the You're right. I, I, I'm a musician, and I feel that way when I go see a band. You know, I'm just like, yeah. this is cool. I don't have to do anything except enjoy these people. You know, so I yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, yeah. We've all got a role to play when when you walk into a venue. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So yeah. What kind of stuff does your what what, do you, what does your cover band do? God, I was playing Lizzo and Dua Lipa the other night. So there you go. So that's where we're at. I mean, it's we're at that Lisa? point, but yeah. And your favorite band, COC? Yes, exactly. Yep. I'm not yeah. laughing. I promise I'm not laughing. <laughs> I, I honestly, mate, I, I'm when I say I'm immune to it these days, nothing surprises me. I played everything from BGs to Beatles to Dua Lipa to we play uh, the John Bon Jovi stuff uh, from the Blaze of Glory soundtrack as well. So, and you do all that in one night because you get you get groups of people coming in. So one pub might close, and then you get like tw- a horde of twenty or thirty girls come in, do a leaper. But then they go, and then you've got the Rock Pigs in front of you, and then you got to do Blaze of Glory or um, whatever this it is might be. Song, Jeff Beck on that song. So that's a good song. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah, yeah just a solo on that. And speaking of Bon Jovi, I uh, I, I I ran into Bon Jovi's guitar player the other night. Wait, is that why Richie quit? What? Did Jeff Beck take the solo? That was not a Bon Jovi album. <laughs> it was a Bon Jovi album. Ooh. But um, John Shanks, I ran into John Shanks, uh, and uh, he's playing quote unquote rhythm guitar with John, uh, Bon Jovi now, along with Phil X. Uh, and, yes. uh, but, but John Shanks produced the last Van Halen record. So oh really? So Okay. Yeah, he produced different kind of truth. So I went up to him and I said, hey, man. He goes, hey. I said, I'm Mark Dunn. I'm from Virginia Beach. I said, thanks for producing the final record for my favorite band. He goes, oh, yeah, dude. I was like, tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> so, but I'll I'll talk to you about what he said, but I won't talk about it while you're recording. <laughs> you know who yeah. Michael Landau is, right? Say that again, mate. Sorry. You know who Michael Landau is? I've heard the name, so go for it. He's a guitar player insane and he plays chords that i've never even thought of and he doesn't stop playing those chords he never plays anything the same and he's so fast and fluid and funny and we saw him the other night two nights ago at the baked potato over there in studio city this this room is he was telling me as big as a classroom i'm saying no it's not it's got to be bigger than that and we walk in oh my god this place is small tiny Mm. and we got to see him we get we were close enough to touch him when he was playing it was so fun yeah, it was yeah, uh, cool. it it was packed with musical uh, royalty. Chad Wackerman was there, on, oh, you know, cool. the drummer from Frank Zappa and Al Holzer. Jimmy Johnson was on bass with Mike. Pete Thorne showed up. Um, of course, uh, John Shanks. Um, just Mark Dunn was there. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was it was a great night. And uh, that's a if you when you make it to the states. You got to go see a show at the Big Potato. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. You, you guys have the best bar scene in the planet and club scene in the planet and uh, really envious of it. I feel like as though there are parts of the States where you can go into, to your point, a place that's no bigger than a hole in the wall and you can see the best musicians you've ever seen in your life for a couple of hours and you and you don't even know their bloody names. They've probably played on all of these killer albums like the, with artists that you just mentioned. Yeah, Landau's discography is dumb. Like it's thousands of songs, and that's not hyperbolic. That's true. So he's uh, he, he's one of my favorites. And Dave and uh, Tracy and uh, my much better half, Chrissy, we all were there. 
you're literally packed in like sardines, but it's so well worth it. And oh yeah, the, the place only <laughs> the place sardines only, soaking in wine. Yeah. <laughs> the place <laughs> only serves baked potatoes for food. So you order uh, baked potato is the base of like you can get a you know baked potato with chicken or baked potato, but it's just funny, you know. And it's mm-hmm. been there forever. It is a it is a legendary uh, venue, and I, I aspire to play there hopefully in the next year or two. Oh, killer! Well, I'll try and get over there when you guys are playing in there. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm you. I'm going on the seventy thousand tons of metal thing next year. So that leaves from Miami at the end of January and cruises through the first bit of uh, February. So four or five days or what have you. Who's on the lineup? I haven't released it yet. So, but it'll be. It's all hardcore, heavy stuff. Um, but it just. I mean, as if I'd travel that far and not try and go to other parts of the United States. I've been there a couple of times before. But um, that's that'll be a good opportunity for me to um, maybe go over to California and see what's going on over there as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just time. It's all time permitting. You know how it is. I, I, I thought I'd go on this 70,000 thing as a uh, as a media, as part of the media contingent there sure? just because it's something, it's something fairly interesting to do. And uh, I'm not a huge cruise fan, I've got to say, because there's only two things to do on bloody cruises, which is drink and gamble. And, um, and, and eat. Yeah, and eat, yeah. And you just get bored. They're, they're, they're like RSL clubs over here. They're, they're not that interesting overall, to be honest with you. But uh, Well, they, but the show lineup on those is like it's music all day long. You can catch everybody. You know, it's kind of cool that way. So It's Vegas on a boat, right? Yeah. Pretty much, mate. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I look at it as an opportunity to just catch up and hang out with some of the artists. Sort of a bit, a bit like with Dave, who we've gotten to to know over the last few 12, 12 months, or whatever it's been. You know, you end up getting to speak to people quite a bit, like Blitz from Overkill, these sorts of people, and uh, like like our conversation here, mate. You know, you can take you can take. When someone's mature, meaning that they've lived life, but they've also lived a good life too, man, the conversations are so good. You just think, Jesus, let's catch up and have a beer at some point. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's like with somebody, it's all of a sudden that person becomes magically real. You know, totally. it's not some, yeah, it's, you're, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, but I, yeah. Well, Lando, I wanted to throw this in real quick. Mark, hmm. uh, I want to call him Martin. It's Michael Landau. He finished a song up, and there was a quiet part. And I, we were sitting two feet from him, and I said, "Michael, can you play a bar chord?" <laughs> you know, I was messing with him because he was playing everything but bar chords. Yeah, and he went. He did it kind of out to me. And he smiled <laughs> and he went back into his next riff. So funny. That was great. Yeah, those so, guys are interesting. Yeah. And he's yeah, amazing. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Dave sent it through, and I, and I, I had it on in the car, and I actually listened to it last night. And and I, I just he's an aspect of it that I enjoyed, and and I had to listen to it a couple of times before that as, this aspect of it became more apparent. But the uh, the soul blues and gospel aspect of it, because yeah, it's a bit of a shred masterpiece. But you've also got this other thing going on, and I think where the genesis of that might have been, you mentioned it uh, at the beginning of uh, of our chat was Bee Gees. Yeah, they they I I mean my they're wow. kind of one of my hidden uh, influences. Like you know, I'm kind of divulging. You know some things that with you that uh, people wouldn't reconcile, but they were so good. It's it's hard, you know. And I, they were part of the soundtrack of my childhood. So 
it's intrinsic to my musical DNA at this point. At some point, everything you've ever heard is an influence. Mm-hmm. But the stuff you've listened to the most is what sticks. So they've stuck the longest, I think. Yeah. Which is hard. And when you think about how I play and I talk about the Bee Gees being a big influence, it's like, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, when you, when you hear how their songwriting was and just the, the creativity. And, you know, my producer on this record is Andrew Coleman, and he's a three-time Grammy Award winner, mm-hmm. recorded mm-hmm. with Justin Timberlake. Uh, he's back one of his Grammys is with JT and, and you know, everybody. So he's worked with everybody, you know? Madonna, no doubt. Yeah, everywhere. And, um, and uh, Jay, Justin Timberlake talks about his, the, how the, the Bee Gees were an influence on him, which is obviously a lot more relatable <laughs> than if you listen to my record and say, how do you draw that line? But, you know, they were, I think they were a pervasive influence. And I think, you know, there's a lot of if-then statements that you could, or questions you could say, but you got to wonder what they would have been if the Beatles were never around. And I'm not saying they were better. I'm just saying like they were occupying that same time and space. And the comparisons almost made the Bee Gees kind of second class-ish, if you will. The irony being that they made that uh, that movie, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band mm. with Peter Frampton. Remember that? Vaguely, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, Check it, it was out. awful. It was terrible. Mm. And, uh, but I mean, that's just, you know, their harmonies and whatnot are just, and, and how they created songs and where they drew inspiration from. I mean, you know, Barry Gibb wrote a song uh, for Otis Redding and then Otis Redding passed away before he could record it. So it wound up being a number one hit for the Bee Gees. I mean, yeah. that's, that's real rhythm and blues. You know, that's not just, you know, I started a joke. It's not just that. Those guys were fast. And so, you know, you marry that with the love of me that I have for electric guitar, like Eddie Van Halen and Eric Johnson. Yeah. And, and you wind up getting, I, I, I like to think interesting juxtapositions musically, you know, somebody not might, somebody might hear my record and not understand why I would want to work with Dave, you know, because those worlds are not the same, but my, my influences and my love for music is vast. It's not just about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys are clearly mates too. But but just on the Bee Gees too, they're actually from my part of the world here. They've got the something called Bee Gees Lane at Redcliffe, which is about fifty kilometers away or thereabouts. They're um, they're uh, that they were British who migrated out here when they were like two or three or four or what have you, and just um, their first couple of records were released from Brisbane. So right, their their sound. You sort of get some insight into their sound because. Around here, back in those days, mate, there was nothing else to do except basically play football, play rugby league, um, or be a, or or be a stockman. This sort of thing, work on the land, or perform. And was, yeah, and they were performing basically for football players and bloody um, stockmen and farmers and this sort of thing. And here's the thing: you got to get it right, otherwise they'll tell you to piss off. And yeah, and because they're a family and they're in it, they were basically living the where they were living, Crib Island. It's no longer. It's now buried underneath the airport. But that, um, really? that um, yeah, yeah, it's gone now. They uh, reclaimed the land and built up around it, or what have you, and put the airport there. And uh, it's it's been interesting that. But still, Redcliffe. If you're ever in our in our part, this part of the world, check out uh, BJ's Walk or BJ's Lane. I think it is. Barry, Barry Gibb opened it up. The surviving. I think it's Barry, isn't it? This is a surviving member. Yeah, um, he lives in Miami. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, he go on YouTube. You can see all this stuff and check it out. It's, it's very interesting. It goes fairly deep, and I think there's a few more things around that part of the world. But um, you know, his son Stephen played with Zach Wild in Black Label Society on bass. Oh, is that right? Okay. Oh, that's right too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I should have asked Zach about that. Yeah, Zach's played with a bunch of people. I think he's played with Hank Williams three too, hasn't he? Uh, uh, Zach is a monster. He's funny and he, yeah, he's great. Good guy. Um, and if yeah. I, if I'm if I'm coming out to Australia, you're going to know, brother. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, it's I've been I've been threatening, I think, to bring Dave out here, mate. So we've got to put you on the bill too. You know, it's we can um, it. it's uh, yeah, it's. There's there's a bit of a cottage industry of bringing out artists from the United States and Europe to Australia at the moment. The issue over here is venues. We don't have a lot of them. Through you know the COVID things obliterated everything, and the few venues that survived are basically the worst ones. Do you have <laughs> one called the baked shrimp? Baked <laughs> shrimp, okay. Yeah, the barbie yeah. shrimp, not the baked potato. Well, we got the baked potato. Maybe we have a little the barbie shrimp, shrimp over there. Yeah, but you know, Vinny, I'm here all night. Vinny and I was yeah. <laughs> I'll come over there and play wherever, you know. If it's uh, if they want to hear my music, I'll I'll set up in a fast food place. I don't give a shit, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'd I'd love to open up a venue, but unfortunately, the people, the few people that I've spoken to that have opened up a venue, and I suppose it's a positive thing in this way, I'm saving my money because they've given me very strong advice not to do it because it's basically a black hole for your money. And was Mark um, Alexander one of them? What's that? Was Mark Alexander one of the people who told you not no, to open well, one? Oh, I, I've spoken to Mark a couple of times, as, you, as you're probably aware. Um, no, he wasn't one of the guys. Plus, he's in he's in Sydney, and uh, Sydney's a you know Sydney's got seven million people in it or something like that. So you can probably eke out a bloody existence there if you market it correctly. Up here, we've got something like less than half those numbers, and um, uh, we're a lot more spread out. So, so I think the the one like entertainment. That. Yeah, well, the one entertainment precinct we've got is pretty much saturated. Um, so, yeah, it just, you know, this is, you know, we, we talk about, Mark, we talk about, you know, finding your own level in this business. I think I found mine and it's with this having conversations and like it's uh, as much as I'd love to open up a venue, it, uh, it probably won't happen. Well, maybe one day there'll be the Scars and Guitars Music Festival somewhere. Uh, yeah. It's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think so. That's a great name. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I don't know whether I've spoken, I don't know whether I've told this story. I might have mentioned it a few times in deep into the past on the show, but I was actually, the reason why it's called Scars and Guitars, so the guitars bit is obvious, but the Scars was actually to do with athletes because I love sport too, you see. So I was going to try to interview, um, not prominent, but on the level that I'm having conversations with musicians, the equivalent of athletes. So, but um, it ne just never, ever happened. I've got so many opportunities to talk to, talk to musicians. I think that the first person I ever spoke to for the show was Vinnie Apice. So it sort of really? showed you where I was going. Yeah, that was sure. That was sort of the level straight away. Boom, right there. And then within you, 12, 12 months, it was just other people like him. Have you seen the, the Dio documentary? Not not yet. It's on my list to watch, though, actually. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. I had no idea. I sat there in amazement. Me and Chrissy just watched that, and I was looking at her just like, I couldn't believe it. Like, it, I won't give anything away. You probably know, know, know more about them than I did watching that doc, but it's really well done. Yeah. It's really it's, well done. I, I, Dio was an interesting guy because he was beloved by fans, and I don't know whether this comes across. I'm yet to watch the, the documentary, obviously. But it does. Uh, 
It does. But, he, but, he, but he's, the musicians he worked with weren't such a big fan of him a lot of the time. So um, Vivian Campbell especially has long been on the record about his fractious relationship with Dio. So you know what it always of, boils down to, though? The only thing that screws up relationships is this. Yeah. And that's what that boiled down to. From That's the way it came across. And I think it was fairly represented, you know, but it's uh, – and, you know – Dio was never lacking in having great players, you know, and obviously Vivian wound up in a great place pursuant to that gig. You know, he wouldn't be where he is now without Dio. So I, I, I look at it like that, you know. But. No, very true. Yeah, it's and it's clashes of personalities and the like. But yeah, and you you, you bang on point there about the financials. I, I suppose it doesn't matter what what genre you're playing and it's it's very prominent when it comes to the extreme metal genre because they're not earning much money as a as a unit overall so when you get these musicians who are touring the world and they're single to great sites they come back and they've got a credit card debt go back home and they've got a credit card debt so they get very disenfranchised yeah yeah ain't no free lunch in this business <laughs> no, no more per from atlantic records do you have any um do you have any points of interest or, or notes about the individual, uh, the stuff you heard on the record that you want me to talk about? Or, well, I think I listen. I tend to listen to things and and listen to them as a unit. And the re- just being busy and working away and having kids sure. and all the rest yeah, of yeah. it, I I have things on in the background. And the measure of an album team seems for me to be whether or not it cuts through in that environment. Now, that's just that's really just about me and my environment here. But I get that. I, yeah, I, I just I, the the three the three people that I came up with in terms of your guitar playing were a combination of Vito Brada from White Line, who's one of my favorite. Oh my god, guys. you're my best yeah. friend, right? Oh, wow. it's just brilliant. Yeah, um, Jake Jakey Lee, who I mentioned, and of course you've mentioned him a couple of times. Van Halen, definitely hear the Van Halen there, but in in no way did I want to um, uh, allow the. Oh, I did. I want. Do I want the listener to assume that? You're just copying because you're a shredder, but you're just going in that part of the the musical world because you think you want to show off or what have you. It's very soulful. Um, I love the blues aspect of it, but the other thing that we've touched on was the gospel side of it too. So it's the sort of music that whilst I'm getting the kids organised for school or I'm in the car and I just want to be taken somewhere else, it's the sort of music I can see. Now, I've had it – I've only – Mark – They've sent it to me a while ago, but I've only been listening to it in preparation for our chat, to be honest with you. But it's the sort of music that I can see myself listening to well after what I call the interview cycle is finished. So please take that as a, as, as much of a compliment as I can offer. No, that's uh, – thank you. I wasn't fishing for compliments at all. I appreciate uh, the the proper influences that you're noting as well. I just I, – uh, I, I, I'm actually just kind of – uh, speechless at the compliment you gave me on that. So I appreciate that. And Vito Brada, uh, he probably's not lying. Right? I mean, I just, um, yeah, I, um, that's cool. I mean, he's serious. He's very humble and and you know, and Vito Brada to me is is like that. Like, we need him back. You know. Oh, I'd love it, to have him back. Yeah. yeah, it's just what I. Yeah, but I don't know if you know about him or not. And obviously, we're not here to talk about everybody else. But he kind of dipped out of the scene to take care of his sick parents, you know. Yeah. So that's uh, that's good for him. And but you know, I hope he decides to get out there and get real with some guitar music one day because he's a fantastic musician. 
Well, well he's, he's a theory, Mark. I've read just about everything I think you can read about him in terms of where he's at and his interviews with Eddie Trunk and, and Eddie Trunk talking about him, of course, because he's good mates with him. But I've been with a few musicians over the years who once were beyond great, but they lose it. I don't know why they lose it. Great singers, great drummers. I played with them, say, 15 years ago, and then 15 years later I play with them or 10 years later and I'm like, what the hell's happened? You know, life has just taken them in a different direction. Now, I, I just call it intuition or call it what you will. Now, I don't think he probably lost it in, in the in the sense that he can't play the guitar, but, I mean, he was really the guy, wasn't he? When you talk about an era of the Van Halen clones and the like, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. George Lynch, yep. Red Beach, you know, Vito Brada. Vito Brada is probably the top of that pile, which is basically that great era of the greatest guitarist we, we may ever hear as a as a cohort, and he, he may have lost it. That's what, what maybe. It might I mean, and that would be sad. But I mean, when you listen to Pride, if, if they if they remix that today and took away some of the reverb on all this yes. stuff, <laughs> which was no, indicative of the eighties mixes, but. Uh, that his playing on that record is lights out. It's unreal. Like I, I could listen. No disrespect to Mike Tramp, but I could listen to that album without vocals. It's a wonderful album. The music is intensely uh, well written and executed, and he can play that shit live. You know, he did a wonderful job. So, yeah, I have fond memories of listening to Pride. And, uh, that was the name of that record, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was big game and pride, and I can't remember the main attraction. That was the other one, but yeah. they um, pride was. I mean, the songs on pride beat beat everything else in their catalog hands down. Yeah, and you had your whole life to write your first record, so you know it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, spot on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they, yeah, um, it's yeah. the best dated planet tree though. Yeah, it was the best dated planet tree though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and. Uh, I don't know if Dave told you about uh, how uh, we connected, but I got to see talk show when I was in my twenties back mm. in 97. And uh, I went to see them open for the Foo Fighters in my hometown. At, and it was at the football stadium at Old Dominion University. And I didn't even stay for Foo Fighters. <laughs> I don't blame I thought, you. <laughs> well, I mean, back then too, they weren't they weren't the Foo Fighters that they are now. As far as the songs, like it wasn't hitting on my my what I wanted to hear. I love Dave Grohl, whatever you know. I think he's a great songwriter, prolific, fantastic musician. But I I thought this record, I when I heard it, I'm like, who is that guy? And I knew what was going on with Violin, and I was sympathetic to the guys in Stone Temple Pilots for that, but. I, I had not seen STP live yet, and I took the time to go down there that day and see the set. And uh, and I had a mutual friend that knew the DeLeo brothers out in L.A. So after their set, me and my, my friend Mike Doyle, who's another fantastic guitar player and loves the talk show record, uh, I said, I'm going to go by the buses and see if I can talk to Robert because... I had a gig that night and I just wanted to see if they were still in town. I was going to invite him out and have a good time. And uh, so Robert came around and Dave came around. I met him. Of course, David doesn't remember this, but I remember everything like it was last week. And, uh, and then uh, back in October, Dave Coots music post came up on uh, a Facebook feed and it was posted by someone else, but I just decided to basically recount the story I just told you and say how much I love the record and how it was a hidden gem in the 90s. Mm. 
And uh, I get this inbox on Facebook later on. I get three of them. And uh, it's from Long Beach Leftovers. It says, hey, Mark, I just want to say thanks for the kind words on the Facebook post. I just figured I'd do it in a message as opposed to sending it or doing the thread. And the next one is like, looks like you played big stages. And then the throw was like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, I see all three at one time. I'm like, is this Dave? And he says, immediately answers back. He says, yeah, or yep. And I'm like, bro, I am going to wear you out. <laughs> I started just laying them out. With, I just got fan. I went into fanboy mode so hard. I was showing Chrissy the, the text. I was like, he just texted me back. I was just starstruck. And then I think the hang happened instantaneously. And it took about a week and a half before I asked him. I said, you interested in maybe working together on some stuff, you know? And, and my drummer that's on the record, Trip Johnson, huge talk show fan, loved that record as much as I do. And uh, he, he's like, see if he wants to do an EP. So, you know, we were just wrapping this up. We were just wrapping up this record. It had been mixed. Um, John Kina Birdie mastered this, by the way, for the guitar heads out there. He's Satriani's guy. Okay. Um, and he had a lot of, uh, to work with Andrew and also Tom Waltney's studio, Tom uh, helped engineer a little bit. And to work with Andrew and John Kina Birdie and have two Grammy Award winners work on my project was humbling because they both loved what we were doing, you know? So that was yeah. cool. But anyhow, we're finishing this up and I'm starting to think about how I'm going to promote it and what I'm going to do to start writing the next one, and which I've already got tunes for. And this is a nice break from being in this realm to be writing songs with Dave and to be working on a record with one of my favorite singers of all time. So it's pretty cool, kind of surreal. But we're just calling it a break for now. Well, yeah. you know, I just want to make the other singer in my band jealous. Right? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I don't. I don't think the label's going to be hurry, in a hurry to get him back. So, yeah, is this um, Dave? Is this something you're talking about with Mark, or are you going to do this separately? Uh, the the new stuff. But yeah, with uh, with Golden Robot, I should say. Sorry, the two marks. So yeah. Um, I haven't spoken to Golden Robot in probably over six months. Oh shit! Yeah. Okay, fair enough. We're pretty much, I think we're over. Yeah. Yeah, May? I think that's. May. Contract's done in May, and I've already given. I only signed for two songs to see how it would work out. I gave him three, and we're good. I'm just gonna move on. So, Miss California, <laughs> you're gonna delay the release. I thought you said something else to you, but that's why I'm at. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't. Look, I'm just so. I, I occasionally, I, after. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was now, but occasionally I'd exchange a text with him. But no, I haven't had a conversation with him of any deep or meaningful matter. Uh, yeah, sometimes. And my so. record. What he says about my record. You oh, did you talk to him about having that release? Did you? No, no. But he's welcome to reach out to me. Maybe we can have a golden reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but no, Dave and I. Dave and I are working on uh, and Trip and also Andrew Coleman's involved. My producer from this record that uh, has produced everybody, worked with everybody, um, and. Uh, David was very complimentary. Uh, you know, I was just excited to be talking to one of my favorite singers. So I sent him a, an unreleased version of this, obviously. It had just been mastered. 
And I actually sent it to him, like, you know, in the sense of what do you think of the levels and, you know, an ear that hadn't heard it, an ear that wasn't there for the recording, an ear, a fresh set of ears for this for this body of work to, to that I would respect and say, yeah, this or that, you know. And uh, I think the first thing he said to me the day after I sent him his ears, is this really you? <laughs> Which was inadvertently a compliment, you know. And uh, so, you know, that that aspect of us talking and then i think i can't remember what the first thing you sent me was but we started doing facetime sessions because we're three hours apart time-wise right and uh started mm-hmm. and we've got what seven or eight ideas now eight 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 tunes in various states of arrangement and whatnot and uh and i think it's going to be a hell of a release you know so we're also going to do a couple of covers. Yeah, we're doing some remakes. So we're looking at 10 songs. Yeah. Put it all together and put it on some vinyls, whatever you but call Dave, it. Dave, is this, is this an opportunity for you to revisit some of that stuff from talk show like Hello, Hello? Because that's a song that deserves to live a life beyond 1997 and 1998. You mean re-release it? Yeah, why not? Here you go, planting the seed. Why don't you guys do that? I'm all about it. I like moving forward. You know, there's never any bug splatter on the rearview mirror. But, you know, at, when we play live, we've already mm. agreed that we're going to do some talk show songs. I might have to pay some royalties, but I'd do it. I don't care. Well, my point earlier about them, that being, a, a, you know, the talk show album maybe being revisited or remastered or whatever, you know, I think that's probably going to be something that is inevitable by virtue of the work that we're doing i'm, right I'm so excited about these new songs that i i don't even think about what i've done in the past i like going forward anyway you know it, it might be fun to throw it's still one of, one of my songs. favorite records though man I, I still i get to be fanboy with him on some shit when he shows me yeah. like how he well. And I didn't know that he wrote that because it's such mm-hmm. a. It's a I, I just was under the assumption that Robert and Dean had written that. Yeah. When he told me that, I, I come. I came downstairs from uh, our session. It was like midnight. Christy was asleep on the couch. I'm like, check this out. <laughs> you know. But yeah. yeah so the, I mean, I think these songs uh, and the covers uh, are are going to be modern versions of the stuff that Dave's had in his head probably for a long time. Yeah, as, as a part two, as a part two to your songwriting on on the album there, Dave would be oh, great. Oh, yeah, you I know. see what you're saying. Yeah. I apologize for that. But, yeah, some of the stuff is pre-talk show old that I put yeah. into there. But some of it's brand new, and a lot of it's brand new. So, And some of the riffs on top here. Yeah, uh, the, the tribute to Eddie, the second track on the record that's obviously a, a unchained. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I wrote that when I was nineteen. You know, I mean, these are riffs that have been oh, cool. In my, and I wrote the riff, not the whole song, but you know, the the good stuff sticks with you. You know, oh, it does. The good stuff. The good stuff's just waiting for an opportunity to be released, isn't it? And and it might not have been. Yeah, it's just not thirty years ago, or twenty years ago, whatever it might have been, and yeah. You've got to go, hang on, and and just the right moment with the right musicians to help bring it to life. And, yeah, and a producer that has the same vision and doesn't want to get in the way. He wants to manifest it. And 
Andrew was like that for me on this record. I can't thank him enough for, you know, contributing his time because I'm, you know, when you have three Grammys on your mantle, you don't need to work with Mark Dunn. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right now, anyway, in my career, maybe in a couple of years, that'll be different. I don't know, but you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I I know. But sometimes the things that are successful are, are an individual's least not important work, but they're the work that they're least fond of, if you like, whereas they're working with people like you, a real musician. That's what makes the creative juices and the, the the fact that you're actually doing it. That's what inspires the synapses. And yes. um, that's yeah. why these guys do that. I like the way you put that. That's a good way to put that. Yeah, I was going to mention something like that, uh, but <laughs> I better not. You do it a lot. Professionally, he just sounds cooler saying that shit. Yeah, <laughs> I try, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Have, Dave, uh, what, what's going on with Miss California, Dave? What's the going song? on? Yeah, what's going on with that oh. song? Because that's not released yet, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, uh, yes, okay. Sorry, um, uh, it's got about 6,000 views, which is oh, better than too. the other ones I put out. Um, yeah, but you sent me know. you sent me two or three other songs which are all of, of a similar quality. So are these being rolled into the sessions that you're working on with Mark? No. No, but they might get played live. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm working on with him is all new, brand new stuff. Yeah. It's all new. Uh organic. Uh, uh and Dave sneezes and, and three songs come out of his nose. I mean, like <laughs> he's one of the most prolific guys. I actually I had to ask myself one day, I was like, is he really that prolific or is this just shit that's been lingering around that he decides to show me? And it's probably a little bit of both because we're both idea guys. That's often wonderfully productive, but can also, you know, detriment a writing process. But everything gets tried. Everything gets tracked. Everything gets tried. There are, there are probably 30 versions of the song that we've been screwing around with while I've been out here that we've shared amongst the four of us in the group, so to speak. I think I sent it to you. Right. I think I sent you a yeah. yeah, you've sent me a few, but they're not titled. So, um, and I can't download them out of the, the app, the Facebook app. So when I'm listening to them, I've got to listen to them in that environment. But they're, they're all of the same quality of the stuff that you've been, that you've already released. So, yeah, that'll be, it'll be interesting to hear. Obviously, I haven't heard anything yet that, um, I might have heard snippets, I suppose, but that you and Mark are working on. But it'll be interesting to hear how you're marrying up and how your um, how your creative muse, if you like, is say separating what you do for your solo stuff and then for the stuff that ends up being in with the project you're working on with Mark. I am I am all about giving you a sample right now if you want to hear something. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear some? Yeah, for sure. Don't tell me your life story Remember the words. Let's do that again. Don't 
Oh, I love it. It's got those, the, you know, there's just, uh, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like those suspended chord structures, if you like, if, I, if I'm wrong on a technical level there, but it's got, it definitely it's got chord, that talk show vibe. He's yeah. a chord snob and he just doesn't know what he's doing. So, like, he plays something, he'll show it to me on the FaceTime when I'm back on the East Coast. And I'm like, oh, that's a such and such and such and such. He goes, well, this, <laughs> this. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, that it's, it's, uh, it's funny because uh, his musical intuition, is what's more important. And I think that about anybody. I, it's more important to just be able to play it as opposed to talk about it, what it is, because sometimes yeah. I think there's a level of ignorance that actually is bliss when it comes to music. He doesn't need to know the names of the chords. He just comes up with the shit and I think, yeah, that's cool. And I'm the one that has to categorize it for my own self. You know what I mean? So I think that his, his ability to, to create the sounds in his that he hears in his head under the neck is intuitive. And he's a much better guitar player than, than I would have ever thought. And I've, people don't know that he can play his ass off. Why, thank you. I yeah. can play rhythm. I can play. Everything is rhythm. Everything is rhythm. Everything is rhythm. And that's the, everything starts with the rhythm. You know? It does. Look, in fact, yeah. rhythm is so important. What song is this not, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason you know it's sweet home alabama is because yeah. of the rhythm the rhythm yeah, yeah. gotcha <laughs> yeah yeah it's very true we we're talking the other night about victor wooten was saying something similar he's playing all of the wrong notes in a scale for a song that was similar to that one of his compositions maybe but um it's still it had groove it had funk it had everything that you want to have here out of something that he does and he's playing in in a technical sense all of the wrong notes so yeah you just got to follow your muse but but it's the other point too between the two of you you're clearly on the same musical language there you go yes that's right victor grew up uh his whole family grew up two cities over from me oh sweet yeah his aunt used to do my taxes when I was in my 20s oh really yeah. okay <laughs> yeah. he can play his ass off that guy oh that whole family is is prodigious i mean they're all monsters and uh you know just fantastic wonder and joe has been with steve miller or no uh is it, no joe wooten's been with steve miller now for like 25 years on keys okay you know, yeah. that man yeah yeah so lot well, there's some there's some uh there's some there's some interesting players that have come out of virginia you know 
So, when I was, at, when I was at university, there was a lot of Americans, people from the United States, specifically at uh, uni, and there was a few from Virginia. There. Really? Yeah, I went to Bond, which is um, I wouldn't say it models itself on the American institutions, but it's got some some sort of a relationship, if you like, with a lot of the American institutions because a lot will come over. For a semester, and some of the classes I was in, I'd be the only Australian in the class. Really? Yeah, yeah. So mainly some from California, but mainly from the East Coast. I noticed. Interesting. Um, California's closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. That was that was. <laughs> sorry, was that? It's all about the money. There's probably a lot more richer English kids getting sent over there to school in California. Yeah. Well, probably yeah. you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. So yeah. definitely the the northeast there, Connecticut, New England, that sort of thing. Uh, I noticed, but definitely, I remember the uh, a couple of people were from Virginia Tech. I think it is, isn't it? Isn't that the, the yeah? That's there? out in the western part of the state of Virginia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Virginia Tech. I thought you also mentioned England. Oh no, New England, New England. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. There's more money out on the east coast anyway. For sure. You think? Old money, yeah. Old money, yeah, for sure. Old money, yeah. Yeah, a bit, a bit like Sydney and Melbourne compared to where I'm from or living around here too. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Did you take music when you went to college? Did you? What did you take? Oh, journalism. Yeah, so I was... Really? A, a, yeah, I did journalism and... Um, but uh, music, no, I've never studied music. Of course, I did it through school because you had to. You had no choice. But uh, I'm not an academic with regards to my approach to playing. Um, matter of fact, I think I wasn't certainly wasn't discouraged when I was coming through. But when you're a young kid and they're forcing you to learn classical music and stuff, and instead you're listening to Living Color, Faith No More, and Megadeth and this sort of thing, it's really hard to reconcile it. The, the, yeah. the two at time, and it's you know it's something that they always told me was a phase I never grew out of. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that's a phase about the album Vivid from Living Color. That's an amazing no. record. No, this, well, this, I was going to ask Andrew that as a journalist and someone who went to journalism school, you're actually doing journalism. Nobody does that anymore. No, it's a tough one, mate, on that point. We've had a number of conversations. Yeah. Propaganda in, propaganda out. So mm. good for you. Yeah. And yeah. Just, look, I did work in news media too, as I, I might have shared with you, um, Dave. But I, I just couldn't, I can't do it. It's ridiculous. I still work as a journalist, but I work for, funnily enough, I work for the church. I work for a version of the Presbyterian Church here in Australia as a journalist and a content creator doing their websites. And, you know, as a journalist, you've got to do everything from the websites to the videos to the podcast to writing the articles to whatever else it might be, communications of any type. You're just a communicator, a professional communicator at the end of the day. And um, that's, your, that's your job? That's your full-time job? Correct, yep. Yeah. And, and that's what we're doing. How's your passion? Correct. Spot on. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, oh, yeah. Now you get a check occasionally from Google or whatever it might be for doing this, but you wouldn't, you know, it's only enough to buy a couple of rounds. That's all it is. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, God Almighty, you wouldn't. I mean, is, you guys are on a bit of a different level, being a bit more prominent. But as a podcaster and uh, the like, it's, uh, podcaster and someone who writes articles and the like, uh, I don't even bother taking money from I've had people offer me money, but the, what I do like doing, just today's point a moment ago, is being independent and having the conversations that I want to have. But I tell you what, it doesn't stop me, stop me from having, I've had one episode banned on YouTube, the conversation with John Joseph from Chromax. 
Really? Why? Um, well, if you know, and if you've got some background and some insight in John Joseph, he just doesn't take any shit from anybody. So, of course, we're living through the era of big tech, big pharma, a lot of left-wing <laughs> ideologies at the moment, and he sees right through it and he stands up against it. And, of course, big tech doesn't want you to do that, so they ban your conversation from the platforms. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for Spotify. Yeah. Because Spotify doesn't <laughs> – so they will put a disclaimer on things, but they won't ban things. They won't pull things down. And, I mean, I get – I, my audience on YouTube dwarf it dwarfs everything else. So if I get pulled from YouTube, I lose my reach. What about uh, Rumble? Oh, they're not there yet, mate. Odyssey and Rumble and all of that stuff. It's all really clunky. Really? Um, yeah. You know, if if I don't that's know, that's the term that I use. <laughs> I yeah, use that it, same. Clunky. It's just clunky, and yeah. I'm look. So there's 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 all of these. Um, they're adjacent, aren't they, to the big tech platforms on Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. But let's face it, if you're not on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, this sort of thing, you're basically just camping. You, you don't you don't reach an audience of people who would otherwise not hear you. With Odyssey and Rumble and those things, you're really only you get you're getting people who are already invested. So you can do that too, but it's just it's not quite at a point yet where we've we haven't democratized big tech yet, and that'll hopefully come. And you know why I think that'll come because of what Chat GPT is doing, because Chat GPT is turning everybody who couldn't write into a bloody scholar. Yeah, yeah, that's a little that's a little alarming. Is that the AI guy? It's one of Spot them. On. Yeah, and Chat GPT will also just make shit up. Um, like it's you ask it to write a, a, a history of the Presbyterian Church, and it'll lay out whatever it can web crawl. Then, it, it, uh, in one example, it, it offered up books to read with authors' names, and I'm just using Presbyterian Church. I can't remember what this one actually was, but this is a real thing that happened. Sure, yeah. And the the books were just made up, and the authors' names were just made up. Like it's just. It's, it's basically, hey, you don't have to read. I'll be your brain. Exactly. It's just kind of nuts. It's, you know, it's like, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's already learned how to lie. It's learned how to lie. How about that? That's what yeah. it's learned how to do. But then, but big tech and and big tech and all of these 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 organizations and these uh, businesses and these platforms that have sprung up courtesy of smartphone usage, right? They already lie, and they're already so. There's no. The thing about being a journalist is you want to plug into, say, what is news. Well, the thing is, news doesn't news by its definition, I suppose, doesn't have one anymore because anything is news. Okay, we used to talk about whether it's relevant, whether it's it's time bound, whether it's worthy of public consumption, this sort of thing. Nowadays, you've got you're in an era where Hunter Biden's laptop isn't newsworthy. So, and obviously, it is. It's only being said that it's not newsworthy. This because is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. But this is one of yeah. this is a story that potentially could have blown up the, the candidacy of Biden. But right. it's not newsworthy because big tech doesn't want people to know because, of course, they wouldn't vote for the guy because he's a bloody crim. But you know, this is this is the era that we're living in at the moment, and um, it's really up to the individual to make up their own mind. But I, I, I'm afraid, unfortunately, I think people are um, they're sleepwalking into this. Almost dystopian, soiled green future. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I, I, I don't even, you know, I, I try not to 
even have these discussions with people from a political standpoint. It's just like a, this is real, this is not standpoint. Mm -hmm. And the level of obfuscation on so many other topics is just insane. You know, it's insane. Oh, it makes people's four. It's not five. Plus two equals four. You know. No, and, and music is an outlet that I think is going to become more and more relevant and, and important to people because we're, we're living through this era of uh, critical race theory, the destruction of science and the name of progressive ideology, i.e. men are women, um, identity politics, reverse racism, and, and overall just this Marxist ideology that's underpinning so many of these, these institutionalised big tech platforms. And People are asking, I find people, more and more people are starting to ask, is there a way out of this? So there's a lot of people that are conscious to it, but, and it doesn't matter what background you're from, you can be black or white and from any religious or cultural background, you know. So I find, especially in Australia, if you watch Sky News, um, some of the most prominent people aren't even, they're, they're from places, they're born in places like Iran, but they migrated as a kid out here. So they value the democracy that we've got and they want to protect it. And they're looking around going, what the hell happened during COVID? What is this shit? <laughs> I'd love to have you over for a Bud Light sometime. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd accept that invitation, by the way, but uh, maybe not blood, maybe not Bud Light. Maybe we'd go for, um, I don't know, some other uh, independent brewery. There you go. Or maybe <laughs> get, a, get the oil can with the kangaroo lined up with the spout. You're at Foster's. Foster's an interesting one, yeah. How are your kids and your wife? Yeah, they're going well. Yeah, I mean, on on that front, life is great. You can't complain. But it's the yes. uh, it's the bigger picture, isn't it, that we look at and and we think. So on an individual basis, honestly, nothing could things couldn't be better. Everything's great. You know, the kids are healthy and money's coming in, and uh, mm-hmm. there's so many opportunities. I you know I get to do this. This is you know one of the things that I always wanted to do. One of my dreams, if you like, talking to great artists and musicians. But um, you just, it's not hard to sort of look out the window occasionally and think, Jesus Christ, can't we just collectively get our stuff together instead of this grab for power, which I think is really what it's about. 100%. I, I would tell you <clears throat> that the, that COVID was opportuned. Now, people got sick and died from it, you know, but at the same time, there was a little bit of a, let's see what we can get away with. You know what I mean? Mm. Which should be alarming to everyone. You know, like it, the 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 truth is coming out. Fortunately, about a view. about how stuff was wittingly and against science, wittingly imposed upon the society of the world, in different in different ways in different countries. But here I sit in in, in California, and the, the level of duplicitous behavior from the Politburo, if you will, the politicians, mm. and what they imputed upon the working restaurant owners and things like this were just insane. Like, what's the point? What are you doing? You know, when you have, you know, a governor eating a $5,000 dinner at the French Laundry, meanwhile, one of the restaurant owners in Anaheim has to set up you know, in the parking lot, in the parking lot, you know, and we, we learn history for a reason. We know about the French revolution for a reason, Mm. you know, and it's that kind of shit 
that should piss everybody off, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever you are in Australia. It's just there's no sense behind that, you know, and I, I speak as a, a free person tethered to no party other than common sense and and freedom, you know, it's. Yeah, I'm like you. I'm, I'm as frustrated with both sides of the aisle. Uh, we we have similar setup over here. We have a left and right wing party. They're just not they're not quite as uh, the the similar vibe, if you like, but they're a bit more centrist still. So our our left wing prime minister was interviewed by Piers Morgan. You probably know who Piers Morgan is recently because he's over in the UK for the coronation of our new head of state, the uh, King King Charles, because we still have part of the monarchy, the Commonwealth. But um, he was asked by Piers Morgan to describe. What a woman is, and he didn't. He didn't subvert the question. He said it's an and oh, it's an adult female. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but he's a left wing guy. He's a left wing guy. So that's interesting. So you've still got some common sense in some of these mainstream left wing parties where they're not completely drinking the bloody you know the bullshit juice. Well, or whatever also it might that guy's had. Better be careful when you start talking about drinking blood, there, buddy. You might get turned off. He's also had the luxury of. <laughs> Our uh, new Supreme Court justice dodged the question, literally, in her yeah. confirmation hearings. And uh, I think it was you, the, the, didn't the PM of New Zealand just resign and she went through the same thing and wouldn't answer the question? And there's been some prominent figures that have been posed the question because it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's, there's one way to answer it, period, end of story. Shouldn't you be playing Alexa? <laughs> 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 we have another song called Alexa, and it's kind of talking about what we're talking about. All uh, right, Alexa's always listening, a right? A little bit of politics in the lyrics on this new stuff. As you should be. I mean, music has always been a vehicle for cultural awareness and maybe even cultural change. I just want to know when all the the cool musicians of the '70s that were, you know, anti-establishment wound up, you know. Pimping the establishment in the in this current time, you know. I mean, pimping Pfizer. Why would you want to get Rogan? Why would you want to take your music catalog off Spotify if you don't fire Joe Rogan? I mean, are you shitting me? Come on, Neil. You know. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Neil Young's like Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Neil Young's an idiot, and I I, I did I went on a rant uh, not too long ago about that. Uh, and it was a constructive rant, by the way. But I, I just couldn't believe that he thought that he was bigger than Spotify at this point in time. Like how out of touch can you possibly be that if you don't take, if you don't take my music, if you don't take Joe Rogan down, I'm going to remove my music. Here's the thing, Neil. Fine. Okay. Most of your fans have CDs anyway. Don't stream your stuff. So, or, or records or whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean, what well, he knew that was also, that was a hollow gesture on his part because he doesn't own his whole catalog. So he can, he can say it all day long, but he didn't have the power to do it on his own. Very true. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was just a soapbox, you know, and to each their own. I'm not going to disrespect him as an artist, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's like you're not that self important, bro. You know, take just come on, you know, Joe Rogan on, uh, and Joe Rogan's by no means a righty, you know, he's not sitting there, you know, espousing the att attributes of Donald Trump by, by any means, but he just keeps it real, you know, and it's also, Entertainment. Yeah. And if people want to listen to someone and you gain information from it, I think that that's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I was saying thank God for Spotify because they didn't pull down my episode with John with John Joseph either. So at the at the moment, Spotify is the one we can bank on. Okay. We, we can you can bank on almost anything you want to put out there. 
you can bank on the fact that uh, Spotify will actually honour that and they won't pull it down. And and that's the most important thing because whether or not people think they're good ideas or bad ideas, all ideas deserve to be dissected at some point because there's always an audience for every idea, if you like. And it's not up to somebody else to tell us what we can and can't listen to and what's good for our we're as adults. We need to be able to make decisions. Okay, it's how we grow. It's how we learn. And I, I don't need any government, as you likely you guys don't either. You don't need big tech or big pharma or any government or any unelected official, which is another bloody issue. Any unelected official from a health department telling us what we can and can't do with ourselves. <laughs> right. That's why we hit it out. And he has a the director for the CDC. <laughs> yeah. uh, who's that? Who's the CDC director? Uh, What's her name? Yeah, Walensky, something like that. How about that? Ooh. Talk about unelected officials. The guy that runs that junkyard is a freaking terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's the Ethiopian guy. Yeah, he was a Somali guy, whatever he is. Yeah, he's a a scumbag, mate. I'm going to become an unelected official and tell everybody they must listen to Top Gear. Yeah, there you go. Well, just announce yourself as an just just go to Davos and be with these World Health Organization psychopaths and these um or these uh World Economic Forum psychopaths. Oh yeah. And look at it. Maybe uh you can... I'll get Greta to wear this t shirt. You know, I'll get her to wear Greta Thunberg to wear this t shirt. Yeah, do I'll that, do it. that. And because you know how they're forcing us to eat bugs these days and they're calling it micro livestock. Have you heard about that thing? Oh yeah, micro lifestyle. How are the uh, sparkling grasshoppers? Uh, we're cooking some up right now. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, can I some can I some uh, barbecue sauce with my my fly? Thanks. Get out there. Have that some Bud Light. Oh, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to say this too. I don't know. I mean, I'll sit here and talk all day, but as this goes out over the podcast ways. I am 100% serious. If somebody wants to bring my music over to Australia, I will bring, I will come on. If they, if they want to make it right, get up with the right promoter or agents listening, listen to my record. Yeah. Maybe even I'd, a tag along. Oh, it'd be, it'd be great to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it just all comes down to the financial viability uh, and, and, uh, Maybe there's a wealthy benefactor out there who just wants the greatest musicians around right now to come into one place, you know, in a really good club around here or what have you. And sponsors. I heard Cheap Trick had to stay quarantined in a hotel for two weeks before they could go on stage and play. I'm not doing that. Was that in Australia, was it? Yeah. 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 That doesn't surprise me, especially if it was in, this, in the state of Victoria. But um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think those rules. Yeah, Victoria is very similar to California in terms of its politics. All you know, there's no there's no right wing party in um, Victoria anymore. That's just all left these days, and they're all coming up here. A lot of when they move up here for the weather anyway, because Victoria's uh, weather is probably similar to New York's or something like that. People people in the US, I think, think that we're all really hot here, but Victoria can be freezing. Get down to zero. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne, you probably heard of the city of Melbourne. Yeah, that's um lovely city. Very a lot of cultural artifacts there, but my God, is it freezing? Yeah, it's cold. Well, uh, interesting tidbit about myself. I was born in Iceland. Oh wow. Is that you're a you're a military military family? Yeah, my dad Yeah, my dad was the uh I came along way late. My oldest brother was an adult when I was born. But um so my my dad's second to last duty station was Reykjavik, and I was born off the base in Keflavik, so I have dual citizenship in two different 
uh, past or two different birth certificates. So. That's very interesting. Yeah, there's got to be some some astrological influence there, if you like, being born in a very different part of the world. And I've got to say, I speak to a bloke, Smarty, from uh, Iceland quite a bit on Messenger. He's in, in a band called Petronian, and a bit like what I've done with Dave, we've just in, sort of continued the conversation well after the fact. And um, he's a tremendous fella too. So Iceland, they tend to breed him well up there, mate. So you're from good stock. Yeah, well, I make the joke about there's only two things to do in Iceland, and the first one's drink vodka. And I'm a product of the second thing. So, you know, it's <laughs> all, I, I have the most unique birth story out of everyone else in my family, you know. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, yeah, so I, I, I can't thank you enough for wanting to take time to talk to me about this record. And also let me brag about my association with David now. And it's just, you know, this, this album's going to be banging. And uh, some of the things we've talked about, <laughs> uh, from a live standpoint is um i think we'll we'll probably perform obviously our new works of music and we'll perform some of this yeah and we'll perform some old talk show and even some tenchment so nice you know, when, yeah. yeah when when this record gets done and you know i think we'll do a, at least a couple of shows here in the states somewhere and, uh, we have a lot of things to pick from, really. A lot of platters yeah. that we could throw out at least an hour and a half of music right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the covers, the remakes that we're going to do, we're going to, uh, you know, I think they're going to be pretty well received. I don't want to let that cat out of the bag yet, but yeah. I haven't heard anybody cover these songs. And they are, they're songs that everyone knows. So it's like one of those things like, hasn't nobody revisited that yet, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gents, unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap things up because I've got to get the kids up and ready for school. But um, obviously, I want to thank you very much for your for your time, and it's always a thrill. But uh, Mark, it's been so great to make your acquaintance, and I'm hoping we can continue the conversation after this. And Zoom hug. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's good to see you again. I'll man. I'll need Likewise, your. Um... Let's do it again, guys. You know, I do. You know, let, let's make this. Best, uh, this next couple of stuff a couple of those recorded we'll up yeah absolutely yeah let's do that then I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that we're going to release official singles before we finish the whole project so there'll be new, new music coming okay sweet yeah fantastic right. great stuff all right thank you sir have a great day thank you brothers appreciate it talk to you again yes okay. sir Take thank care. you guys. catch up see ya well there you have it ladies and gents what an awesome what an awesome chat with two fantastic fellas, Dave Coots and Mark Dunn. I enjoyed that one. If you liked it, go across to scarsandguitars.com where many more conversations await. And if you like listening, perhaps you like reading, because I've written a book. Scars and Guitars Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Hard Rock, Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click on the link in the banner on that website there and you'll be taken to a website or a marketplace, I should say, of your choice. Can download a sample and if you do complete the purchase hit me up because i want to thank you in person there's some more information to come about the book but before we get to that i need to bid you a fond farewell my name is andrew mckay smith and i'm the host of the scars and guitars podcast until next time it's a very goodbye for now this is eric rutan of cannibal corpse you are listening to the scars and guitars podcast with andrew mckay smith I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many 
of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favorite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>